My handle is Jonathan Blade. podcast. So what should we talk about this episode? I'm not 100% sure what every piece of user-created media has been about for the, if you're interested in entertainment, has been about for the past five days as it follows SEO. Uh, Maybe we should talk about Zack Schneider's Justice League. So if you're not sure what this is, and I'm surprised at how many people actually have no idea what this is, Zack Schneider is a director who directed, as relevant to this conversation, Man of Steel, kicking off the DC Extended Universe. Uh, He directed Batman vs. Superman, and he started to direct the Justice League movie. So, my opinion on these movies is that Man of Steel is really good, if inconsistent, which is a reoccurring theme with Zack Schneider's movies. BVS is not good, but, man, it could be. I don't hate it for the same reasons that other people do. It is boring. It's boring, and it's stupid. It's so dumb, but it could be great. But it's not. It has the extended version of it. It's three hours long. It has two awesome scenes, and that is it. Sucks. But he does make a pretty movie. Some people don't like the look of what he has done with that that movie. I think it's an attractive movie. Uh, and then the Justice League movie is the most interesting one because he was working on it, and he had to stop working on it because of a family tragedy. The studio was like, good, because we don't like this movie. And then they hired Josh Sweden to finish the movie to make something that they thought would be presentable uh, for a quick and dirty release. It cost a lot of money because of reshoots. The studio just wanted to recoup their money. They released it. Uh, It made nobody happy because it was not a true Joss Whedon vision and it was not a true Zack Schneider vision. And it just fell flat. Both of their philosophies kind of clash on screen and cancel each other out. And it's not awful. It's just not good. It's kind of, but it's not interesting at all. It would have been a good superhero movie in the 90s. Uh, But Zack Snyder's Justice League is a decent superhero movie now. So because of COVID and the fact that Warner was trying to start a streaming network with the HBO Max service, they needed some content to bring users to the service. So they wanted wanted to go big. So they said, hey, Zack Snyder, we've heard about the big push for your your director's cut of your movie, and we want you to release it. And Zack Snyder was like, great, give me $70 million so I can finish this movie, and I will. And they did, and making it probably the most expensive movie of all time, and he released his unadulterated vision of what the Justice League movie should be at four hours. Is it worth it at four hours? Kind of. Yes. It is not going to be in the upper echelon of movies, of superhero movies that I come back to again and again, but it's a worthy project. 
It repairs a lot of the flaws of the theatrical release, and it is actually a watchable project. So I watched it in two pieces. Uh, the first half, the first two hours, I was kind of like, oh, it's the same movie, and I don't think I like this. But I hadn't given up hope because I was one of the people that was actually interested to see where this went. Not at least the Snyder Cut kind of person, but if it was made, I wanted to see it. So the first two hours kind of lost me. Second two hours brought me back in. And at the end, I was like, wow. And a lot of people were like, wow, he really did it. There is a really bad epilogue at the end of the Snyder Cut. Not everything in the epilogue is bad. Some of it's fun. But the last two parts of that epilogue are completely unnecessary. One, one part's bad, the other part's just unnecessary. That feeds into something else unnecessary that was in the, the middle of the actual film. But beyond that, yeah, it's a worthy project. It will probably be something that I buy on digital once it's released uh, for general consumption. And that is not true of most of the DC Extended cinematic universe. So, you know what? Bravo. Good for you, Zack Snyder. I've always been a fan. Uh, I think 300's awesome. I don't think that Sucker Punch is awesome, but I think it's beautiful. I think Man of Steel is awesome. So, yeah, good for you, Zack Snyder. But that takes me into what I really wanted to talk about, which is something that I think influenced this movie, maybe just a little bit. There are other comic books that have influenced the Zack Snyder's Justice League more than the one I'm thinking of, but the one I'm thinking of is one that I've actually read and am familiar with, which takes me back to the 90s. So in the 90s, at the beginning of the 90s, uh, the Justice League comic book was basically a sitcom. It was written by Giffen and Matisse. It was a sitcom book. Uh, basically, all the leaguers were having a ball with people like Booster Gold and Blue Beetle going, wah-ha-ha, as they took Pratt Falls and people tripped over things and crashed into walls with Batman in the background frowning and being the butt of people's jokes as the straight man. So out of that era, and I don't think that Grant Morrison's run was directly after that era, but it was soon after DC asked Grant Morrison to take over the book and turn it into something iconic because they needed it. Their sales were flagging on that book. So Grant Morrison wanted to bring back the iconic ideal of the Big Seven the primary leaguers. He wanted to bring back the iconic versions of Batman and Wonder Woman, Superman, Flash, Green Lantern, Martian Manhunter, Aquaman at their most powerful, at their most effective. And so his style of storytelling was to present what I call the Klaxon Klaxon era, where every story was a world ending event and the story started in media res, basically in action. This style of storytelling expanded throughout all of comic bookdom, so everybody's team eventually hit that level where things like the Authority and the Monarchy and the Avengers and the Fantastic Four were telling stories like that. Every story arc was like, Klaxon, Klaxon, it's the end of the world, we need the whatever. And in Grant Morrison's storytelling style, which is... <laughs> it's a lot, let me tell you, so... I still collect comic books digitally. I don't collect that many, probably three or four a month, sometimes two. And when I get a digital story, I can usually thumb through it 
in very short order, having read the whole thing and, and gotten the gist of the artwork, and I'll go back sometimes or, or not, but the way that Grant Morrison tells a story, this guy is obviously a novelist because he writes dense. He writes so dense that his exposition and his dialogue take up huge amounts of paper. You need an artist like Howard Porter who can throw incredible detail into the background, very liquid detail that can work around all these word bubbles and still draw your eye past this mountain of dialogue and exposition. It was a match made in heaven, and it ended up being just a fantastic book. Some of the the greatest stories ever told in a standard comic book. So the storyline that I'm thinking of was at the end of his first year on the book, Rock of Ages. And the thing in Rock of Ages that I think influences the Zack Snyder's Justice League is actually not even the main part of the story. It's a side story that seems to be nothing. Seems to be nothing for that story, but it just sets up a story that Grant Morrison ends his run on like two years later, because that's how he writes. So in Rock of Ages, it starts with the Justice League behind the eight ball a little bit. Uh, Wonder Woman has just died. Superman is different. I forget why this happened, but he became Superman Blue in the mid-90s, where his power set changed to uh, energy powers. He became an energy being. Blue 90s costume, little head band thing. But the story starts in, in Media Res, as his stories do, with Star City under attack by these hard light versions of the Justice League, and they are killing people and destroying the city, and killing people. And a Justice League who is not at 100% shows up in Star City to take down these hard light versions of themselves. They have new members, Green Arrow, not Oliver Queen, but Oliver Queen's son, because Oliver Queen is also dead, because it's the 90s, and it was grim and gritty, people died all the time. And Aztec, who is a Grant Morrison character, whose book I never read and everything I know about Aztec is from these Justice League books. They stop the Hard Light Justice League. There's simulacra that were created by Lex Luthor. And the attack on Star City was just to gather data on the Justice League. So they do. And we find out that Lex's plan is to use his new Injustice gang and corporate tactics because 90s Lex Luthor is a businessman. To use corporate tactics to implement a hostile takeover and destroy the Justice League. Uh, using his new Injustice gang, these hard light Justice League members, Jem, son of Saturn, who he's holding prisoner. Uh, Jem is an alien who had a 90s book. We find out much later that the Saturnians are actually genetically modified worker class created by the Martians of John Jones' Mars, the Martian Manhunters' Mars. They're basically slaves created by the Martians. They have some powers that are similar to what the Martians can do, including uh, telepathy. So they use a mind-controlled gem to block Martian Manhunter's telepathy. And his ace in the hole, this MacGuffin called the Philosopher's Stone, also known as the Whirligog. It takes many forms. It's a piece of the source, which is the source is that from which the universe springs in the DC universe. It's kind of like the God Force. But the... Whirligog, in the Whirligog form, uh, the Philosopher's Stone is actually a map of the universe. How that's helpful? No idea. I don't think I ever get a really good grip of how that's helpful 
collects in the story in general. But he has it, and he uses it in his plan somehow. Part of the story that takes place after this that is of interest to Zack Snyder's Justice League is that while this story is happening, three members of the Justice League are on their moon base called the Watchtower. Green Lantern, Aquaman the Flash, when Metron of the New Gods shows up at the Watchtower saying, oh, we have an emergency, we need your help. They're like, we don't understand what you want from us. And Metron's like, there's no time. And he reconfigures the Watchtower's transporter technology to take the leaguers that are there somewhere to stop a horrible possible future, is what he says. And so he reconfigures their transporter technology with the Mother Box. Mother Boxes are a little bit different in the comic book than they are in the movie. They're not a powerful MacGuffin. They're, they're basically iPhone 10,000s. But... He reconfigures the Justice League's transporter technology and sends the Flash, Aquaman, and Green Lantern out of reality. And they have these trippy experiences through several meta-realities, other dimensions, other experiences, and end up in their bodies 15 years later after this horrible catastrophe has happened because, without them there to stop him, Superman and whoever else is left in the League at that point in time stop Lex Luthor's plan, but they stop it and destroy the world of Gog, which somehow makes it so that Darkseid come, can come and take over the Earth. Somehow, destroying the world of Gog allows Darkseid to take hold of the anti-life equation, or perhaps destroying the world of Gog lets Darkseid know that the Earth is somehow undefended now because the world of Gog doesn't exist anymore. Unclear, but basically destroying the world of Gog allows Darkseid to come and take over the Earth, and he has the anti-life equation in the future, which he doesn't have at the time. So, perhaps they're connected, perhaps not. But Green Lantern, Aquaman, and the Flash show up in their bodies 15 years later. So Flash is like, oh no, I'm, I'm an old, sick, and fat dude. Only 15 years later, mind you. Uh, Green Lantern shows up in his body, uh, which is now a parademon, kind of. He, he's part of Darkseid's army. Uh, the entire population of Earth has been infected by anti-life, so they're all under Darkseid's sway, basically. Not everybody, but almost everybody. There's some renegade members of the League who are trying to fight back. They have their adventure in the future. They eventually find Batman, who was taken hostage by Desaad, who is one of Darkseid's lieutenants. He's kind of like Dr. Mangala. He was taken captive by Desaad. He was tortured by Desaad for eight years. He eventually escaped, killed Desaad, and took his place in such a way that Darkseid believes that Batman is Desaad. So they implement a plan to end this this horrible future that they live in, knowing that these these leaguers will then return to the past and present, prevent the thing from happening that destroys the world, basically. Prevent Superman from destroying the world of Gog. They're going to take down Darkseid and hopefully end this broken future world. So they manage to do that, and the story is very cool when they actually manage to do that because... The uh, Black Racer appears, and you see him moving through the pages. I don't think I understood this when I first read it, because I knew who the Black Racer was, but his shadow falls across stuff and visiting people. And basically, when the Black Racer comes through pages of the story, it means that character dies. Whatever the character is, the Black Racer's like, yes, and then I put my hand upon this person, and my shadow passes this person, and it's the Black Racer, and the person dies. And then his shadow falls across the world, ending that timeline. Everybody goes back to their bodies. But before that happens, Superman and Martian Manhunter find this fake satellite 
that is supposed to be the Injustice Gang satellite, but it's another hard light illusion created by the Injustice Gang to trap Superman and the Martian Manhunter, and it's created by the Joker's mind, so it becomes a maze that is uh, disconcerting and, and difficult to navigate, so Martian Manhunter uses his his morphing capabilities to change the shape of his brain to emulate a psychopath, makes his way through the Joker's maze. When they are almost out, there's a bomb, and Superman reads the note of the bomb that says this is activated when you scan it. And the satellite explodes. They're like, ha-ha, we killed the League. But they didn't because Superman's new powers absorb the energy of the explosion, leaving only the light. While this is going on, past Batman, through some incredible unconnected leap of deduction figures out that Lex Luthor is behind the uh, the, the machinations to try to destroy the Justice League and says that, uh, yeah, Lex Luthor's trying to take us down with corporate tactics, but there's one person who's better at corporate tactics than any other man on the planet, better than Lex Luthor, Bruce Wayne. And so he's going to use his own counter-corporate tactics to take down the Injustice Gang. Getting together with the other members of the League in time to stop Superman from destroying the world agog, the Injustice Gang had tried to infiltrate the Justice League. Batman had infiltrated the Injustice Gang with some bribes and, like, Plastic Man took the place of the Joker. A bunch of stuff happened. But they did. They were able to stop Lex Luthor in time with this future, 15 years in the future, anti-life story seemingly hanging and these things having happened for no reason until it connects back to something that involved the new leaguer Aztec two years later at the end of Grant Morrison's run because that's once again that's how he writes super dense all kinds of connectivity to his other stuff no reference lots of dialogue it ended up being a really good story even contained in itself where you're like uh, and with a big portion of it's like what is actually happening here if you haven't read any of Grant Morrison's uh, Justice League or any of Grant Morrison's stuff in general, hard recommend. They stop Lex Luthor. They stop the possible future. They bring on new leaguers at the end of that story, Steel and Plastic Man and uh, Wonder Woman's mother, Hippolyta, is the new Wonder Woman for like three or four, two or three years. And some somebody else, I don't... I think uh, Green Arrow had already become a member. But they've got new leaguers. Maybe Jon Stewart came back at that point. Great stuff. I would recommend anything written by Grant Morrison. But before my voice completely leaves me, I think I think that's the conversation today. If you'd like to talk to me about Zack Snyder's Justice League, or you'd like to talk to me about Grant Morrison's run on Justice League, which I highly recommend, you can find collected copies of it on digital. Go out there and find it. Uh, you can hit me up on Twitter at JankyOldBrokeHoboSpiderMan at JonathanBlade. And we'll talk at you in the next episode. Thanks for listening.